I do welcome you again and grateful uh, that you are with us this morning um, as we uh, honor our mother, uh, mothers um, and really the heart and essence of motherhood uh, this morning from God's word. But before I get started, I'd like for us to join in prayer together one more time. Father, I just thank you now again for this opportunity to minister your word. I just pray that you would speak to us, God, from on high. You give us a divine word from heaven that you would help us to see, all of us to see, um, what motherhood is really about, Lord, and, and, um, and what it means for us in Jesus Christ. And so bless this morning, God. Minister to our hearts. And uh, we thank you for all that you have done for us. And we give you praise and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> and this morning we're all going to talk about motherhood, the divine calling. Um, in many ways, if you kind of are keeping your finger on the pulse of the culture, you may come to understand that motherhood, in a sense, is under attack. Um, parental rights <laughs> are under attack. Um, it's dangerous when the government thinks they know better for your kids than you do. Um, and a lot of this is all happening because um, what it even means to be male and female is, is under attack. If you don't even know the difference between a man and a woman, how can you know what motherhood means? And so what we want to talk about this morning is what has God designed things to be? What has he uh, ordered things to be from the very beginning that in his perfect wisdom that he knows is right and good and true and best for human society and human flourishing and ultimately for our greatest joy and his greatest glory forever. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, motherhood, a divine calling. And so now, if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm just going to read two verses from Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The word of God you may be seated. I want to see three truths from, our, from uh, several passages this morning. Number one is this, is that motherhood is a divine institution. Motherhood is a divine institution. Number two, motherhood is a divine gift. And number three, motherhood is a divine calling. And so we have motherhood is a divine institution, it is a divine gift, and it is a divine calling. But first, motherhood is a divine institution. So we, we, read the, we read the passage just now about how God created man and woman in his image. A little bit later in the creation account, in Genesis 3.20, it said, The man, that is Adam, called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And so what we learn from these passages is that God created humanity. God made us. <laughs> that means 
He knows how we work, right? You ever made anything before? When you make something, you know how it works, and you know what you intended it for. You know what you, you, know what you made it for. You don't make something for no purpose. You always create something for a purpose, and you create it to work in a certain way, in a specific way. That's how God created us. And it says specifically that God created man and woman in his image. And then it says male and female, he created them. What does it mean? It means that God intentionally created humanity with two distinct sexes. This is how he created the male and female. Of course, that means all kinds of things. But the first thing it means is that men and women are different. You ever notice that? Well, believe a few years ago, that wouldn't have been a controversial statement, but in some circles, what I just said is very controversial. But I do believe that human experience, biology, and common sense all tell us that men and women are not the same. They are different. And those differences, I would say, biblically speaking, are good. Are good. God made these differences because these differences are good. They are created different, but they are complementary. That is, man was created in such a way that in order to fulfill the command that God had given him, he couldn't do it by himself. He needed woman, and woman needed man. They were made different, but they were made complementary in such a way that they need, needed each other. The most obvious example of this, of course, is, is procreation, having children. It says in our passage that God made man and woman in his image, male and female, he created them. And then in the very next verse it says, and it says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So at the risk of stating the painfully obvious, God's creation of man and woman as distinct male and female has a deep connection to his command to be fruitful and multiply. Right? That you have to have one to have the other. And he created man and, wo- man and woman, Adam and Eve, as image bearers of God. And so this whole year we've been talking, we've been going through the, the journey of, through the Bible we've been calling it. And we've been talking about how man's created purpose as an image bearer of God and his command to spread over all the earth and fill the earth. That is God's way, God's command of telling humanity that our responsibility, our charge, what he made us for... It's to reflect God and his goodness and his glory and his wisdom and to multiply his image, his image bearers all over the earth. And to fill the earth with the glory of God because we, as those who are made in his image, reflect God's glory. And and this creation command that God gave Adam and Eve, this creation command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion over it. It explicitly had to be fulfilled through procreation, through having children. That was how it would be fulfilled, to spread his image and glory over all the earth. And so the point here is that men and women were created different, and that difference is good. And in fact, it's the very difference that allows men and women to have children and multiply God's image and fulfill the reason why God created us. Of course, it goes much further than that, as we'll talk about later. But the point of all this is that motherhood, I want you to think about this. Motherhood is a divine institution. God specifically, intentionally ordered the way humans work so that there would be mothers. So that there could be mothers. So that through 
through motherhood, God's image would be, would be spread over all of the earth. And so what I want to tell you this morning is that motherhood is a divine institution and that motherhood is a high calling. It's a high calling. You know, I feel like sometimes motherhood is belittled. And, um, you know, in certain, in certain places in our, in our society today, um, being a stay-at-home mom or having lots of children is kind of like viewed as like, why would you want to do that? It's a poor career choice. <laughs> but I want to suggest to you today that there are a few things that impact the world, like shaping the hearts and minds of the next generation. Few things impact the world like that. And let me tell you something. There, there, is, there are few roles in society that have the, the kind of power to do that like the role of a mother. And so what we need now more than ever is mothers. People to bring, whether biological or not biological, people to bring others in and nurture and care and shape their hearts and minds and consciences for God. The world is shaped by mothers in really a way that, there's, that, that no other role does. I want you to consider this, that right after sin entered the world, God gave a promise. And again, this year, we, we've talked about this, this verse a lot, but it's Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity, he's talking to the devil here. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we talked about how this verse is just a mysterious verse, but he's talking to the devil and he's telling the devil that one day there will be a descendant of the woman who is going to strike his head. He's going to undo the works of the devil. But, it's, but what's interesting here is notice how he describes it. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. That is, it's fascinating, isn't it? That he, 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 he prophesies of this descendant who was going to come to make right what sin has made wrong. But he describes this descendant not as the offspring of man, but as the offspring of woman. That's what it says. He specifically describes him as the offspring of woman. And it's amazing that when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are a number of women who are highlighted in the biblical storyline. Sarah. For example, received a child of promise, miraculous child. Uh, Leah, who was Jacob's unloved wife. And yet she was given the most male children of all of Jacob's wives. And not only that, but Leah was granted to be the mother of Judah, who, who Judah would become the tribe of the kings. Jesus Christ is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then you have, then you have uh, Rahab, the prostitute, Ruth, the Moabite, Mary, the virgin. All of these women are highlighted in Scripture for their faithfulness and trust in God. And they are rewarded, if you will, by their offspring. And, and I, I mean this in a very specific way. And that is all these women were mothers, great-grandmothers, great-great-great-great-great-grandmothers of the man, Jesus Christ. So, 
In a very real sense, salvation has come to the world through mothers. And there are a few things that I believe can shape the course of the future than a faithful mother. So number one, motherhood is a divine institution. Number two, motherhood is a divine gift. Motherhood is a divine gift. Genesis 18. This is, um, this is the Lord, and he visited uh, Abraham. And um, the Lord visited Abraham, and this is what God told to him. He said, they, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of the women had ceased to be with Sarah. So, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. <laughs> Don't argue with God, folks. Come on. Come on. Woman eavesdropping in a tent. Come on now. We all need to be called out for our unbelief every now and then. I mean, can you blame her? She was 90 years old. I don't know about you, but I don't know many 90-year-old women that have childbearing on their to-do list. So, so, of course, Isaac was a miracle child. He, told, he was the child of the promise. And, of course, God gave this promise to Abraham and to Sarah because he, he, he wanted to show that he was in control and he wanted to show that he had a special purpose for this child. And, and if we're following the storyline of Scripture, really, we're seeing that this that, that child of promise that we talked about in Genesis 3.15, there's this promise that was made, and, it, and it's carried on. This, there's this line, if you will, there's this line of the promise where these promised children have come, all pointing, pointing to the ultimate promised child who would come. But so, this, it was, he was a miracle child, and Sarah was granted to conceive at 90 years old. It was a miracle, but up until then, of course... Um, Sarah was uh, infertile. Infertile, which is an experience, a very painful experience for many people today. And what we learn from this uh, story about Sarah is that her child was was a miracle child. But in reality, if you think about it, every child is a miracle child. Every child is a miracle child. Every child is a gift from undeserved gift from God. Uh, We just had our fourth child. I've been in the delivery room four times. I still don't know how it happens. I'm telling you, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that that that, that can happen. And I won't go into detail, but it's a miracle. Okay? It's a real miracle. And What we learn from this all, of course, is that children are a gift from God. 
And that could be painful to think about sometimes because we, it makes you wonder things like this. Like, why does it seem sometimes that God gives children to those who, from our perspective, it doesn't really seem that they even want them? Or they don't care for them? Or take care of them, care of them while, while sometimes it seems that families who would, from all we can tell, be godly parents are left childless? The answer to that question is, we don't know. We don't know why God does the things that he does sometimes. But there are some things that we do know. For example, we do know this, that God is good. We do know this, that God is wise. We do know this, that God is weaving a tapestry of a billion threads. And sometimes, in our lives, we just, we can't see the picture that God is creating because we don't have the perspective that God has. And it's, it's, not, it's that inability to see what God is doing that causes us the pain because we can't understand. But see, God is weaving a tapestry of a billion threads. He's painting a picture of a billion strokes throughout all human history. And who knows but that as he takes a dark color and paints it on the canvas of your life. Who knows that he's just not giving background to the brilliant, blinding, bright picture he's going to paint on top of it. And so though we don't always know what God does in our pain, and we, and we do acknowledge, of course, that Mother, Mother's Day can be a difficult time for uh, uh, those who have battled with infertility or lost, you've lost your mother or things like that. But in spite of it all, we want to remember that God is good and that motherhood is a divine gift. It's a gift of grace that nobody deserves. And motherhood points to something greater than itself, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But for now, we just need to remember that motherhood is indeed a miracle. In Psalm 139, David wrote, For you form my inward parts. You needed me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet, there was none of them. Children are a miracle. The, the, to me, the most miraculous thing to me <clears throat> is that first cry. That first cry is a miracle. It's a miracle. And God is doing things, and God has designed the human body in such a way <clears throat> that, <laughs> that, I mean, that, that the, the female body can become an incubator for human life. I mean, it's amazing. <clears throat> and that inside of our bodies, <clears throat> our DNA contains all the information necessary for yourselves to multiply and create all the different types of structures necessary for human life to work. 
more complex than any type of computer system that we've even become close to creating. I read a book one time about how DNA worked, and it wasn't a, it, 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 you know, it wasn't meant to be some kind of Christian book per se. But I read a book about how DNA worked one time, and I, I worshipped as I read to know. That our life is so miraculous, it's so complex, it's so astounding that we, by God's wisdom and decree, can recreate, procreate in God, in our own image, in God's image. It's a miracle. So number one, motherhood is a divine institution. Number two, motherhood is a divine gift. Number three, motherhood is a divine calling. And what do I mean here by divine calling? Well, oftentimes we refer to calling as some kind of vocation or activity or mission that we feel called to as our way to serve God in the world. And we might use that term when we talk about, well, I feel called to be a missionary or a pastor. Or I would say, you know, any type of vocation that you do well for the glory of God and the good of others is a divine calling. We need people who are called to be farmers so that we can eat, thank God. We need people who are called by God to work in this sphere, to work in this educational system, to work in the engineering fields, to create things that help human society flourish and to do good for the glory of God. These are callings that bear with them both privileges and responsibilities that we are stewards of for the glory of God and for the good of others. And it's in that sense, of course, that motherhood is indeed a divine calling. It's it's outlined specifically in the Bible. In 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul writes to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, And in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. You see, there's unspeakable blessing that you've received. And not not everyone gets it. Not everyone receives this. So if you have it, you need to thank God for it. If you had a spiritual heritage in your family. Where you had grandparents and grandmothers and mothers and fathers that cared about your soul like like Eunice and Lois did for Timothy. And spoke the truth into his life and, and, and ministered to him such that God raised him up to be a, a, an assistant to the Apostle Paul himself. Timothy has two, writ, two New Testament books written to him because of the spiritual influences in his life of his mother and his grandmother. And there are untold number of saints, great men and women of the faith, that owe a large part of the work of, of their work in Christ's service to the deep spiritual influences that they receive from their mother at a young age. A famous example is the is Saint Augustine, who just lived a very licentious, sexually immoral life. He did whatever he wanted, but his mother never stopped praying for him. And one day he was walking through a garden, and he heard a voice say, "Take up and read." And he looked around and there was a Bible laying on a bench. Got saved. Or take Charles Spurgeon, for example. 
In, in Arnold Dalimore's biography, this is what he writes about Charles Spurgeon. He says, Since the father was so busy, the task of bringing up the family fell largely to the mother. She was an exceptionally devout and gracious woman. And the son, and the son James, that is Charles's brother, stated, quote, She was the starting point of all the greatness and goodness any of us, by the grace of God, have ever enjoyed. Charles looked back on his mother with deep affection and gratitude, and he tells of her reading the scripture to her children and pleading with them to be concerned about their souls. Quote, I cannot tell how much I owe of the solemn words of my good mother. I remember on one occasion her praying thus, Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. That thought of my mother's bearing a swift witness against me pierced my conscience. How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms about my neck prayed, Oh, that my son may live before thee. We have prisons full of men who have tattoos on their arms that say, I love my mom. What does that mean? It means lots of times men will listen to their mothers when they listen to no one else. The influence of a mom is incalculable. Motherhood is a calling of the highest order. And in this regard, perhaps it is evident then that the height of mother, motherhood, the consummation of motherhood, then does not even require biological children. Because the highest achievement of the woman or man of God is not biological multiplication, but spiritual multiplication. Take the Apostle Paul, for example, in Galatians 4. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may, you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You see, Paul describes himself in the language of a mother over the church of Galatia. So perhaps you have experienced this. Because it need not even be your own, your own physical children. But just somebody that God has brought into your life. Whom you care about. Whom you love. Like Paul loved the Galatians. And there's these false teachers creeping in there with this false gospel. And he knew that if they were deceived, that they would, they, would, they would lose hope because the false gospel cannot be saved. So what was Paul? Paul was in agony over the thought that those whom he loved, who belonged to him, who've got, whom God had given to him, these spiritual children might be lost. He was in agony at that thought. 
And so, everywhere in the spirit of Paul, everywhere that a woman of God speaks forth the truth and light of Christ into the life of another, she is fulfilling the divine call of motherhood. Every phone call made, every letter written, every tear shed in prayer, every pleading to come to God, every confrontation over sin, every invitation for coffee, every cooking of a meal, every act and every act of care and nurture for the temporal and eternal good of another is the essence of motherhood. You see, you don't have to have biological children to be a mother in the ultimate sense. And I don't know any Christian mother in the biological sense who doesn't also cry out to God that she might become one in the spiritual sense. And so, uh, this Mother's Day, what I just wanted to do was I just wanted the glory of motherhood to shine brightly before our eyes. Let us thank God for our mothers, biological and spiritual, the nurturing, the caring, the pleading for souls, the praying. And let us, let us all take up these great virtues These great virtues that are associated with motherhood. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. He looked out over Jerusalem. And it says that. It says that. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that. That kills the prophets. Oh how I would have gathered you together. As a mother hen gathers her brood. But you were not willing. And so all of us, in the spirit of Paul and in the spirit of Christ, through pleading, through praying, through self-giving, through hospitality, through caring and nurturing, we can all pray that all of us might become spiritual mothers and fathers. That we we can all, in the spirit of divine motherhood, welcome others into our families. Maybe those, maybe those who, who... didn't and don't have the blessing of, of, of godly influences from their parents, we can welcome them in to our home. We can welcome them in and show them the essence of motherhood. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus said this. It says, And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that through Christ, we, the people of God, are being made into a new family. So I don't know, maybe this morning, maybe this morning you don't your your family or your family life or your family situation in which you had grown up, it wasn't what you wanted it to be. It wasn't what you hoped to be. 
Well, God, our Father, has his doors wide open. Come on in. Join the family. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you will find for yourself more fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, children and lands than you could possibly imagine. It's for us all in Jesus Christ. And your spiritual family lasts forever. Can never be taken away. And we'll gather together in the household of God with our Lord and Savior forever. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So do you know him? Do you have, is God your father? If he's not this morning, he welcomes you in. Call on the, believe in Jesus. Turn from your sin. Trust in him and you will become part of the forever family of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning.